This is Jason Donnelly, author of Gripped. I forget the second book I fucking wrote. This is the one. <laughs> this is Jason Donnelly, author of Gripped, Five Stitches, and your favorite, Shut the Fuck Up. You're listening to the Angry Millennial Pod- Podcast, and I have no pronunciation skills. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, who doesn't love really well-designed photography clothing? Check out clickgearclothing.com, a lifestyle for urban photographers. All Angry Millennial listeners can use coupon code ANGRYPHOTO to receive 20% off any order. And the first three people who sign up for our newsletter after the show will get a free $25 gift card. Now guys, be sure to also check them out on Instagram at clickgearclothingltd. What's going on, AM Nation, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Show. Today, we're here in Zinepack's offices in New York City at WeWork, oddly enough. Love that. Chatting with co-founder Kim Kaup. Kim, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. I must say, I'm a huge co-working fan, so I'm even on the board of a, a co-working space in Maryland. I love Not it. Not as big as WeWork, but I'm a know, big WeWork trying. super fan. If you go to their homepage, actually, WeWork.com, you will see my big fat face. <laughs> so I I am a big WeWork supporter. You were even telling me that it was so far as you were on a billboard. Is yes. That right, before yes. we were starting. Last winter, uh, WeWork had myself and I think it was two or three other founders mm-hmm. on a billboard in the middle of Times Square. Oh, shit. Which was really cool. I think my mom like almost cried. <laughs> <laughs> I who, made it, Mom. Who, I made who it. Who were the uh, other three? I don't even remember, honestly. I have a picture. I should Google that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to see that. Pretty neat. Um, because I'm looking at it, I'm coming around the corner, and I'm like, oh, we, that does make sense. Yeah. You know, especially nowadays where everything's going. It's awesome. So recently, uh, I had the pleasure of hearing you speak at the Next Gen Summit here in New York. That's yeah. how we met. And I really loved... The message you spread about, you know, patience and and simply honestly putting in the work, you know. Uh, so tell me, how did you find the Next Gen Summit? As in, like, did you have a good time? And tell us a bit about what went into your keynote. I love the Next Gen Summit. Uh, I always try to speak at colleges or to young people as much as I can because I feel like when I graduated college in 2008, entrepreneurship wasn't something that people talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, There wasn't a college of entrepreneurship, or I think there was maybe like one or two entrepreneurship classes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what's really changed now in 2016 is you see this emergence of entrepreneurship being cool and sexy. And that's thanks to, you know, entertainment with movies like The Social Network with, you know, Justin Timberlake Mm -hmm. and all these great big movie stars. It's on the small screen with shows like Shark Tank and Billion Dollar Buyer. So you're seeing that go into households every single week. And entrepreneurship has suddenly become something that's not kind of this untalked about thing. It's it's very much front facing and Mm -hmm. people are really excited by new things, whether it's Uber or Lyft or all these new um, 
entrepreneurial endeavors that are coming into a popular space. So I think speaking to that next generation and saying like, it's not some scary, weird thing that we're not going to talk about. (laughs) Uh, You can be an entrepreneur or you can be an entrepreneur. You know, you can go to a corporate workplace and start a whole new division of Bank of America. And that's awesome. And, you know, I'm definitely not one of those entrepreneurs who is like, screw corporate, like never go back. I love corporate. I worked at corporate for, for years. So I worked at Condé Nast for two and a half years. Yeah. They do like Vogue and Vanity Fair. I'm familiar. Yeah. I I got my, I got my street cred there. (laughs) You know, I earned my, I earned my That is a great way to meet some of the big business players in New York. Let's be serious. I mean, any event you went to with that thing. Oh my God. It's huge. And I tell, actually I tell people all the time, if you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, it's not a half bad idea to go work at corporate. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're thinking of starting your own app, you're Mm going to start the next Uber of vegetables, you know, go work at Uber for a year, see how their backend works, see how their data analytics work, see how their customer service works so that when you leave Mm -hmm. all those mistakes that you would have made on your own, you already have a playbook to say like, oh, well, I'm just going to kind of do it exactly how Uber did it. Right. (laughs) You know, know, it's funny as you mentioned that and I tell people all the time, like that's not a bad thing. And they look at it like, Oh, that's unethical. I'm like, mm, not really, if you think about it, because any job gets you on-the-job work experience. If you're smart enough to choose a company that is in line with your entrepreneurial endeavors outside of work, you're just being smarter about what you're, you know, where you're giving away your 20s, if you will, you know? Exactly. And especially because, let's say it, and like you said, entrepreneurship wasn't was this thing where for a long time it was, and it sounds horrible to say, but... It was like the Henry Fords and, and, and Steve Jobs of the world, mm-hmm. or you owned a pizzeria. And that right. was what people assumed it was entrepreneurship. That's what and, I assumed. Right, I mean, right. Naturally so. And because we're the same age, I graduated uh, college in 06 and grad school in 08. And so it was, for me, it was the same thing. It was like I wanted a corporate job, couldn't get it, just did entrepreneurship. But it, let's be real here, it is, it is pretty shitty. <laughs> like it's cool, but it's, it's not sexy at all. <laughs> All right. And then you sit there and say, but if, uh, like you mentioned, I remember when I was in college, the only thing they had was like one class. It wasn't even enough to be a minor. No. And then now you have entire colleges or majors dedicated to it. Oh, my, my, uh, alma mater in university of Florida. We haven't, we have a college of entrepreneurship down now. Oh, I flew down there in December and did a whole nice. symposium, which was amazing, but I'm going, Oh my God how much can change, right? right? You know, I was there in 08. I think the the College of Entrepreneurship opened up in like 2014 and I'm going, my God, like what a difference five, six years makes. It's, it's huge. So whenever I can, I always try to go and and speak to young people because I'm also a big believer of, you know, if you see it, you can be it. Mm -hmm. So there's that semblance of like, oh, well, I've never seen a black president. So Mm -hmm. like maybe I could never be that. So, you know, if you can see it, you kind of set this standard of like, well, I am a young woman. Maybe I can own my own business. Right. Or you figure like, I always think about the, uh, the commercial for Mazda where they talk about, uh, the guy who broke the four minute mile. Mm -hmm. And for years, everyone said it couldn't humanly physically couldn't be done. And then when he did it, within the next like year, five more people broke it. And it was kind of like the same exactly. thing, you know, like it, people can tell you something's impossible up and down, but in reality it's just, just go fucking do it, you know? Totally. Um, so that's really cool. And that you, you do that. So let me ask you one thing before I go to the next question. Uh, do you, have you always been like any kind of, do you actually mentor anyone? 
kind of uh, unofficially, officially, or is it more just in terms of like just giving back to the community and doing keynotes and stuff? No, I definitely, I mean, I don't know if they would consider me their mentor, but I consider them my mentees. <laughs> no, there are definitely people that I check in on, um, right. a couple of people that I got internships this summer that I was just so excited that I check in with them every two or That's three cool. months, you know, how's it going yeah. out there, yeah, yeah. you know, or they'll check in with me. Um, so whether it's an official or an unofficial sort of thing, I, mm-hmm. I always try to, probably to a fault, um, I just try to help as many people as I can. I'm such yeah. a sucker for it. Yeah, same here. I mean, and it's funny because I have um, like a bunch of like high school, college age kids who, who a whole gamut, like one does like a, a daily vlog on YouTube, the other one's a f- photographer and wants to be a photojournalist and and uh, and they're all local to me and I teach at the college and I'm like, hey, if you guys ever want, just come, they're non-credit classes, you can just, you can sign up and whatever. And, uh, and it's funny because one of them was telling me about how he shot his, so he goes to a Catholic school, but he shot his old public school's high school graduation. And he goes, what's funny is my mom wanted to, was really proud of the photos and wanted to get some printed. So he took them that she took them down to like a uh, staples, right. And went to get them printed. And apparently they gave her a lot of shit because she didn't have a release signed because oh. they thought they were professional photos. And she's saying up and down, my son took these, he's 17 years old. Aww. Like, and he had to go down there and tell them like, no, those are mine. Right. And he's like, but that was kind of cool that they thought some like old pro took him and he, he sent me a text about it. Like, dude, that's fucking cool. You know, it's amazing. That's awesome. And, uh, and he kind of jokingly said, he goes, well, so I, he got something else. So his career has kind of already been like kind of going well. So he said to me, um, well, I kind of told them that you're my mentor. I hope that's fine because we never really actually had that conversation. And I go, dude, that's fine. It's kind of like dating, right? <laughs> Like, do you have to ask? Right, do like, you have to label it? Do you have it? to wait? Like, are you my boyfriend? <laughs> like, are you my mentor? Like, right. I don't know. Right. Maybe I'm just assuming that I have tons of mentees <laughs> and they're just trying to casually date me. I don't know. <laughs> there could be that. There could be that. <laughs> Who knows? I, yeah. What's funny was like we were talking about it like, not too long ago and we were mentioning how like there is someone who was my first person who hired me out of college when I was still in grad school and I'm still friends with to this day. And there's another guy who, when I was writing this article, I hadn't thought about in probably eight, 10 years. And it was a, a team leader. Mm-hmm. So you know where I'm going with this for a door to door office supply sales job. So I was going around selling paper and toners, right? I had that job for one week. I got, <laughs> I walked around, I worked 12 hour days. I think I got a paycheck for like $49 at the end of the week. And I said, I can't what? do this anymore. Right. So, um, but what's funny was that one team leader guy was a mentor, you know, I knew that guy for four days of my life, you know? And, and when I quit that job, I, I like, I genuinely felt bad for letting him down. That's wild. I mean, who the hell is this guy? You know? And, uh, but it's how it goes, right? It's like you can't really label it. Some people in your life for a day or an hour, a minute. Some people in your life for all of it, and they still have a really, really strong impact on you. It's true. You know? It's kind of weird how it works. So tell me, speaking of that, what's been your favorite, most rewarding keynote you've done to date? Favorite? That's really hard. I oh, mean, here we go. Yeah, I don't want no, to. I don't want to upset anybody. I, no, honestly, I really enjoy the Next Gen Summit. Yeah, and I'm not just saying that. I right. really because that's where we met. 
Um, no, I really do enjoy it. I feel like there's a lot of energy in the mm-hmm. room. I feel like it's a lot of people who want to be there. Right. So sometimes when I speak at colleges, um, there's this kind of semblance of like, well, they had free pizza. This was already happening. <laughs> you know, I'll go from four to six because then I have a class at six 30 right. right in the right. place next door. But the next gen summit, it's really, it's people flying in from mm-hmm. all over the country on a Saturday, the world, on yeah. a Saturday, on a Sunday in New York City or in Austin or wherever they decide to have it. Mm-hmm. And those are people that really care and really want to be there. And whether they've started entrepreneurial ventures or they're thinking about starting entrepreneurial ventures or they're just supporting, you mm-hmm. know, I think it's amazing that so many people go just to support. Right. I, you know, I had people coming up to me and I would say, well, who's this person standing next to you? And they'd be like, oh, that's just my friend. You know, the fact that even a friend would come and yeah. spend their entire Saturday listening to these stories when they themselves have no interest in right. necessarily becoming an entrepreneur is amazing to me. And those yeah. are really special people. So yeah. I really enjoy the Next Gen Summit. No, I had I had a ton of fun. And I, I can't remember how I even came across it. It was very, well, well, it wasn't last minute to me. I came across it last fall. Oh, well, yeah, probably fall. And then completely forgot. <laughs> and then, and then when, he, when I got the notification, I was like, oh, shit, that's like in three weeks. I'm like, oh, man. So, uh, but again, I was, I was so glad I went because, like you said, oddly enough, I think me and you were the oldest people in the room totally. for like two days totally. until someone else came. But uh, so that was kind of neat. Uh, being uh, in my early 30s and feeling old. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was great was, like you said, there was 17-year-olds that were like VC-funded companies that were kicking ass. And you're it's going, amazing. what the fuck was it? What am I doing my life, you know? It's amazing. And almost, what, five speakers have been on Shark Tank, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, Just yourself good energy. Included. Good yeah. energy, it good was, people. It was definitely great. I definitely think it's going to be uh, one that I definitely attend you know, for the years to come. So I can't wait to see what the you know, third time's a charm, see what the mm-hmm. third year brings. So let's start from the beginning. Were you always entrepreneurial? Do you have like a lemonade stand story? No, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm the antithesis of that actually. So I feel like most entrepreneurs have these amazing stories about how they, you know, hustled and mowed lawns or they mm-hmm. sold candy out of their backpack or right. like on the football field. Right. And, Um, I didn't do any of that. So I'm what I lovingly refer to as like an accidental entrepreneur. I had no, I had no entrepreneurial big dreams. It's not something that I always hoped for. I had big dreams to work in publishing. I had big dreams to work at a big magazine. You just wanted to read books all all day and. I loved magazines growing up. It was like my favorite thing. One of my mentors worked at a magazine. So Mm -hmm. then of course it was almost like a big sister sort of figure. I then wanted to go do that which I ultimately did. And I moved to New York and started working at Connie Nast and it was an amazing experience. Um, Where are you from originally? Florida. Oh, I'm originally oh, from Florida. Okay. Yeah. Where about? So West Palm beach. I'm horrible at Florida. That's like- uh, it's about an hour and a half North of Fort Lauderdale okay. or like yeah. two and a half hours away from Orlando. Right. So I feel okay. like Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, most people know where those yeah, are. Yeah, so yeah. those are, those are key cities. Nice. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to work in publishing. And so I moved up to New York to do that and kind of got my wish. Mm-hmm. Did that for two and a half years and just felt like I really wanted to try something different. Went and worked at this ad agency. I lasted about two weeks before I was like, oh no, I made this terrible mistake. <laughs> I don't actually really like it here. Right. Um, but everything happens for a reason. And that's mm-hmm. where I met my co-founder, Brittany. No shit. And so I had kind of confided in her, like, I hate this place. I think I made this horrible mistake. I think I'm going to call 
cutting us back because mm. I know they haven't filled my position yet. And I think I'm going to cry and beg, and for, beg for my job back. Right. And she said, well, wait, 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 like, don't do that. And of course that doesn't sound very appealing to me. I don't like groveling. I didn't stop like, <laughs> you know, a very right. sexy thing to do. Did you do like a Jerry Maguire exit uh, too? Yeah. Who's coming like, with me? Yeah. <laughs> Not something that I want to do is go groveling back. That's right. for sure. So Brittany was like, I have this idea and that you'd be an amazing co-founder and wow. I know a lot about music, but you know a lot about magazine and you have all these contacts and I have contacts and what if we got together and we sat in a bar one night and just kind of hatched this plan and we both said, you know, we know statistically that most startups fail. Mm-hmm. That's not a surprise. You can right. Google that. I mean, that's just, I think right. it's like, you know, eight and 10 startups will fail. Mm-hmm. So we said, you know, statistically we will fail. <laughs> But we will have an amazing story that when we go get new jobs, it will say CEO on our title and like, how funny will that be? Hmm. So we had all these plans of what we were going to do when it didn't work. Cause mm-hmm. we're like, well, statistically, like this is right. totally going to fail. So, right. you know, we should plan for failure, um, that we did no planning for success. So we had no business plan. We had no forecast. We had no, we had a napkin, we had a bar napkin and it said, uh, make money, have fun. Hmm. four words that was our business plan right and we quit our jobs and we had about three months saved up where i could pay the bills and she could pay her bills and after three months if we weren't making money we're gonna have to go i don't know work at mcdonald's or go call Condé Nast back or something right um but lucky for us it's been five years and i haven't had to call Condé Nast. so it's (laughs) so Lucky for me, I never had to make that groveling call. And you still have any friends over there who I have do. been kind of I have some, your story? I do. I have some dear friends over there still. Nice. So they're That's great. That's cool. That's I don't awesome. know if Condé would take me back at this point. Right. but <laughs> Probably like, listen, stop. No. <laughs> it's not you. It's us. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Um, so uh, my next question was going to be how you met your co-founder, Brittany. Yeah, at this ad agency. That's an amazing, amazing story. Mm-hmm. And it... Everything happens for a reason. Right. It's so corny, but it's so true. And you said it. So you, so how long, so when you went and you were there for two weeks, how bad was it that you literally thought two weeks was enough to to gauge what an entire job role was going to be? Yeah. It's just a lesson. Now I think there are so many wonderful sites, uh, like the muse with, with like Catherine Minshew runs, um, glass door, et cetera, that you can kind of look up like what's the vibe, what's, what's going on here. And for me, I just, I knew I wanted to leave Condé. A friend had set me up. I didn't even have a resume. I had like met this guy for coffee and he's like, I have this position. I think you might what was it, be good for it. It was an event. Uh, it was a small agency that did event activation. Mm-hmm. So they had like Gatorade and LG and I was doing events at Condé. So they were like, we need somebody. Right. You have the event experience. Like this could be a really great fit. And I was just, I don't know. I was like 24 at the time. I was right. just kind of like, yeah, sure. Why not? Like, you know, rolling with the punches sort of thing. And I didn't really do a lot of homework of like, you know, try to find somebody on LinkedIn who used to work there, Mm -hmm. ask them why they left, like all that sort of like quote unquote due diligence that you're supposed to do before you go work somewhere. You're 24. I think people wouldn't fault you just for not leaving a job before you had a new one. Yeah, I was 24 and I was just kind of like, seems like a good whatever. And just kind of like rolled on into it. And once I rolled into it, I was kind of like, oh, wait, like I don't actually like this. <laughs> what? Whoopsies. So was it not a culture fit? It just wasn't a culture fit. And 
Um, I was coming from an environment which was very different. So I started at Conde in 2008. I left in 2010, height of the recession, you know, huge mm-hmm. budget cuts, people getting fired. I mean, it was like a dog eat dog sort of world mm-hmm. in any sort of entertainment, but especially in publishing. So it went from, you know, in 2008, before the recession started, it was like, you know, you have these amazing six-figure budgets. Yeah, I was going to say they were gollas. We'll, they weren't we'll, really Yeah, advanced. we'll hire yeah. a production company and all this sort of stuff. And and by the time I left, it was like MacGyver. It was like, here's duct tape, two interns, make it work. You know, it was like the I got a guy method. Like, I, right. I, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make this work right, sort of right, thing. Right, right, um, And so when I went to the ad agency, even though it was still the recession, because the money wasn't theirs, because it was client money, it was still this attitude of like, well, we'll just hire a production company. And even though they charge us six figures, it doesn't matter. And I'd be like, well, I got a guy and some duct tape and I know two people, like we could do it for five (laughs) figures. And they're like, no, we're going to do it for six. And I was Mm. like, but why? We could do it for five. And I think that's why now at Zinepack, Brittany and I have also done so well and have, have had so many repeat clients is because the clients know that like, I'm a crazy person when it comes to like getting the best deal. Mm -hmm. It's not even about the 10 cents, the difference. It's about, I want to know that I get the best deal and I don't want clients to feel like, oh, well, they just kind of phoned it in and, you know, we're paying $2 for this when we really could be paying $1.80 because it doesn't seem like 10 cents, 20 cents here and there is a big deal, but like. When you add it up, you know, you're talking about six figures. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're doing a hundred thousand units of something and you're telling a client you're gonna save them ten cents, that's ten grand. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not nothing. If somebody right. told me here's ten grand, to me, that's still a lot of money. And mm-hmm. I think when you look at some of these larger ad agencies of the world, the Sachis and Sachis, the DDBs, the gray advertising to them, ten thousand dollars is not to sound brash, but that's a lunch. Yeah. That's a yeah. lunch for the company. Yeah. That's like we got sandwiches, we had an all call. Everybody, all 500 people showed up like that to them is nothing. Whereas do I think to a lot of clients and to a startup like ours, you know, 10 grand is a lot of money. So if I can save that, I'm going to save it. No, for sure. And then you figure, like you said, with the resourcefulness, let's Mm -hmm. let's put it mildly, uh, you had to have towards the end of your tenure at Condé that you, you kind of could also say, listen, I'm going to under promise and over deliver. Totally. So if you can tell me you, your budget's 150, but I can get you in at 80, and it's going to still be fucking Amazing. 150 worth or more, that's exactly how you get those repeat clients and that sort of thing. You exactly. Want good sound and good snapshots. <laughs> so it you know that's the name of the game, right? Is that you need to make sure that you're looking out for your client. You need to make sure that you're looking out for you know how you're spending their money and what they're getting out of it. And you did it, you know what I mean? And shit, you're still doing it. So, <laughs> so I'm going to go to that question because obviously yeah, we, yeah. we figured out how you met your co-founder and that's really a cool story. I mean, just, so you meet someone basically in the break room bitching about your job. Yeah. And she just goes to you and says, hi, I'm, my name is Brittany. Or no, did you know each we, other at that we, time a little bit? I had, no, we worked together. Like she interviewed me before I got the job. Oh, and okay. what's so funny is to hear her tell the story now. She actually, while I was interviewing, mm-hmm. went home to her husband and said, I think I met my co-founder. Oh, wow. And was like, I think I, I, think I can start this company with this girl. And so she already had the idea already. She just needed to find like, the right person. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and she's like, Yeah. You know, I think I'm going to convince her to come work here. Because what's so funny is the minute I went to her and was like, this place sucks. She's like, oh, I know. 
Like, I know it sucks. <laughs> like, I got you to come here because I want you to, like, start this other thing with me. No shit. Yeah. So I was like, are you out so she of your like catfish? She totally bit? catfished me. Wow. Yeah, for sure. She catfished me. There's no two ways about it. That's interesting. And, you know, the one thing that I kind of thought was great. So talking of, right, let's yeah. just move on to Zine Pack. And it's that it's shocking to note that when you all started Zine Pack with the creative director, Abby Downing, within just weeks, you were on Walmart shelves. Is that true? Yeah, that's totally true. Uh, okay, how? Let's be honest, how? Um, How? You're like, well, dude, those going, Condé Nast contacts, bro. <laughs> no, going back to really why I always tell people that corporate is so important. And mm-hmm. Brittany worked at corporate and I worked at corporate. Mm-hmm. So Brittany worked at corporate at a record label for five years. And, mm. you know, again, I harp on it with people I speak to, whether it's mentees, whether it's people at the next gen summit, never lose contact with people yeah. ever, yeah. ever, ever, ever. And there's yeah. no excuse now that there's LinkedIn and Twitter. Right. I mean, you, back in the day, sure, there's an excuse, but mm. now you really don't have one. Um, Brent, Brittany had stayed friendly with the Walmart buyer. She was in her like late thirties wow. woman. Um, so even after Brittany left the record label, you know, they'd exchange emails every so often. If she came to New York, they mm-hmm. would, you know, grab a drink, even though there was no way that her and Brittany were working together because right. Brittany had left the record label. She was working at an ad agency that has nothing to do right. with Walmart. They stayed friendly just because you, you stay in touch mm-hmm. with, with good people that you kind of meet along the way. I, I mm-hmm. joke you know, you kind of pick them up like tokens and you put them in like an e- your Easter basket and you keep them in there. I'm not going to lie. You got tokens on Easter. I, I feel got, bad for you for your, you know, some candies, <laughs> whatever. Um, but yeah, so she stayed in touch with her. And mm-hmm. so when we were going to start zine pack, she emailed Jenny and said, Kim and I have this idea. Would you, would you try it? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's going to work. I'm not yeah. saying it's not going to work, but would you try it? And Jenny at the time was like, I know you. They had known each other now. I think at that point it had been like seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can find a record label who will let you try with one of their properties, sure, I'll give mm-hmm. it a shot. And I'll give it a shot just like I would give anything else a shot, which means if it sucks, right. you're you're kind of dead in the water. Right. Um, it's kind of like don't fuck up. Exactly, right. pretty much. But she was saying if it does well – I would be thrilled and mm-hmm. we, this would totally be an awesome thing for us. And I mm-hmm. would support you and I would do anything I could to help you make this a success and make this a reality. So that's how we were able to get on Walmart shelves so quickly is because we had already, we, Brittany knew somebody there, mm-hmm. um, which was really helpful. But I think it, it kind of all circles back to the the core idea of like, especially in today's day and world, Today's day and age, it's it's very like use it or lose it. Like you mm-hmm. kind of run through people and you're like, can you help me? No, next. Can you help me? No, next. Right. And you know, it's all about those relationships and it's about meeting people. And if you meet someone and you know they're a good person, keep them around because yeah. they might not be handy right this second. Mm-hmm. But Brittany couldn't have known right. in 2006 when she started her job that that contact was really going to make sense for her in 2011. I mean, talk about the long game. I mean, there's no way she could have foreseen that. No, for sure. And it's funny, like you mentioned it, it's 
It's one of the shittiest, most annoying things about our society nowadays is like everyone's like a Tinder fucking society, right? It's mm-hmm. like it's like hot or not, nope, 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 yep. yes, yes, nope. And what, I think the only saving grace for people like that is they're very transparent. They're very yeah. easy to spot. So it's like, all right, we both didn't waste our time. You're a dick. Goodbye. Yeah. But like you said, I'm the same way. I will fucking never throw away someone's card. I will keep it. Mm-hmm. I will, and I will keep them in a case where I go through it every every couple, like eh, I would say, maybe like once a year, maybe, yeah, maybe less. But for the same reason, right? It's like, hey, where are you at? Does email still bounce back? All right, let me try your cell. You know, like what's been going on? Let's catch up. And like you said, you never know. Oh, that person was at X company, and it seemed cool, but now they're at like this other company, and right. it's like, oh shit, you know? Exactly. And I found that out from my work as a photographer. It was the same thing. Even if someone loves your work and they want to give you a shot, it just might not be a good fit with their clients, whatever else they got going on. So it's like you can keep touching base with them once in a while and they might say, hey, I love this. It's a lot of good fit. Yeah. And and it might be years before they get you your first big gig, but Mm -hmm. it could be the one, you know. So that's like you said, it's interesting. So you guys pretty much all leverage your network that you had cultivated over the years and and really kind of took some big fucking swings out the gate, which is awesome. Yeah. You know? Totally. So coming up soon, honestly, we're going to have some really ambitious plans for, for the show itself. So maybe we'll have to employ Zine Pack into some of our marketing tactics. I would so love that. We will, we will definitely be in touch. Um, so another thing that's kind of a rather new career marker, right, in our society today is the title of Shark Tank Contestant. <laughs> Yes. So what was that whole experience like for, for you guys? And one thing worth noting is that your company, you guys were one of the only 100% self-funded companies on Inc.'s 35 under 35 list. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that apparently was how you kind of got the producer's attention. Yeah. Um, but tell me, you know, what the experience was like and, and then... I want you to kind of speak to because of the fact that you were self-funded and you were doing well, mm-hmm. what was the purpose of going on there? You know, was it, was it merely to scale the business quickly? Was it merely, Hey, say, Hey, look, if we make it on there and it just becomes a bit more press, we'll do it that way. Yeah. You know, uh, take me through it. Yeah. So the show was a great opportunity. You know, Brittany and I are both big advocates of promoting entrepreneurship and, and making sure that people know about it and know that it's an option. So we mm-hmm. love Shark Tank in terms of it's getting to 8 million people every single week who might not otherwise ever dream of owning their own business. So mm-hmm. um, I had actually never watched this show before, self-admittedly, uh, but Brittany was a big fan and, and watched every season. So when the producers originally started calling, because they had seen us in Inc., mm-hmm. um, we had been approached several times before um for Shark Tank or other shows? From other networks who are doing reality shows. Um, you have to realize, you know, and I think I might have said this stat at the Next Gen Summit, but only 2% of women-owned businesses ever make more than a million in revenue. Holy shit, I did not know that. Yeah, so that's an American Express study. They do a what they call a, a case it's like a case study basically, but they call yeah. it the state of women-owned business and it comes out every two years. They work with the census bureau on wow. it. So they do like a whole longitudinal study about how many female entrepreneurs there are, what their revenues are, et cetera, with, with the census bureau. So it's only 2% of female entrepreneurs. We actually sat down with American express at one point and said, 
you know, a lot of companies that are in that 2%, for example, might be generational. You know, your grandfather right. owned a printing business. Right. It was then your father's. Now it's yours. You're, right. you're the daughter. You know, is there any way to segment how many of those are new businesses, you know, out of that 2%? And is there any way to segment how many of those people are under 30? And then is there any way to segment how many of them are co-founders? And we Three. sat- Three and people ever and you're two. <laughs> we literally sat with the uh, census lady and she's typing in all these like if-then statements. Statements. Right. Um, and it just came up like null. And she was, she joked, but she's like, you're a unicorn. Um, <laughs> she's just like, you don't exist. Uh, so, you know, there just wow. aren't that many, unfortunately. So that I, I study hope. is called Females Are Fucked. Yeah. Right? Pretty much. So, you know, That's hopefully crazy. it grows, you know, compared to, I think with men, it's something like 40% or something like huge compared to, you know, the 2% of women owned businesses. So wow. um, the point of the matter is, you know, Shark Tank saw that on the Inc. 35 under 35 mm-hmm. list and just realized like, oh, wow, this is so rare. This is so rare. Did you, you, did you two- mention it on that list? Is that what it was? Or they just kind of saw it themselves? Um, as- I think it might've been written up in the magazine. I'm not sure. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, to have two female entrepreneurs that are making over a million in revenue, one in and of itself is just really rare. Right. Uh, but number two, to do that with no help is just kind of like an extra layer of like, how the hell did they do yeah, that? So one was the unicorn horn. The other one was the rainbow tail. Exactly. The rainbow tail. Right. So, okay. um, when they approached us, uh, it was exciting. And for us, we kind of said, well, we don't know if we really need the money, mm. but you know, the more we looked at it, we're always open to partners. We're always open to things that could make sense for the mm-hmm. business. And we just thought, you know, better to try than to not and see what was going to happen. Right. Uh, so we were really happy. We were happy we got such a good cut on the show. We were happy we've gotten so many emails and and lovely you still phone get, you calls. Still get stuff from that? Yeah, we've re-aired about about four or five times now. Nice. We actually just re-aired last month on CNBC. Oh wow! And we always get really nice. Uh, we had some uh, Girl Scouts come and visit us in the Shut office up, afterwards. Really? Yeah, it was real nice just to have like these young women who were just like, "Oh my god!" Like yeah. I didn't even know that yeah. I could ever do something like this. Did you buy their whole cart worth of cookies? <laughs> <laughs> I would. We definitely bought some. <laughs> That's neat. I never thought of like Girl Scouts as, uh, as essentially there are like the, you know, next generation of leaders, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Little, little entrepreneurs, they go out there and hustle cookies and granted, you know, they, they're pretty much cracked, so they're pretty easy to sell. But, uh, I think what's even funnier is like, uh, I forget what movie it was with, um, Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. Where they ended up sitting in front of a dispensary. And I saw that like one. The perfect, so you know? Um, but tell me, so if we can, right, yeah. and how these things are, um, can we get into like, are you guys, are the uh, two sharks that went out or not, are they still involved? Or? No. So we didn't go through with the deal that you see on okay. the show. Um, so we're still good friends with Robert and Lori. They're wonderful. Mm-hmm. Their teams are wonderful. We've, we've helped them out a couple of times actually since the show aired. But um, when we really went through stuff and do Jill and due diligence, we were, we were just kind of like, I don't know if this makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know, as we kind of dug into it. And also to be fair, they're really busy. You know, they have a lot of stuff going on. And for Brittany and I, we really wanted, you know, there's two types of investors that I tell people all the time, and it depends on what kind of company you have and and what you're wanting. Mm -hmm. The first type of investor is kind of like, here's my check and I don't want to be involved at all. Kind of like wake me up when it's done. Mm -hmm. And the other type is here's my money and I'm going to roll up my sleeves and work for you. Um, and that's really the kind that we wanted. Right. And obviously when, I mean, they're full blown celebrities. I mean, Robert right. was on dancing with the stars. Lori has her own, you know, QVC show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it wasn't looking like that was going to be possible. Not to mention they have so many other deals they've mm-hmm. done on the show. 
So for us, it, it just didn't make sense right. really when we got down to it, but they're still wonderful. We have great relationships with them and their teams okay. and yeah, it's yeah. been really great. It's been a good experience. There's someone, cause I used to be really into the show and I fell off like the last season or two, but there was this guy who ran a, who ran a whole site or a blog that was basically those details. Mm-hmm. Like he still shark, has it. Shark tank deals. Okay. Yeah. yeah he still so has it. it was, I used to enjoy reading that because I yeah. I watched maybe a re-airing or whatever. And then he immediately go online and go, I wonder how that worked out. And then, but so many of them don't, you know, like yeah. they fall apart after the show. Only according reason. to his blog, actually, well, his, his initial findings, apparently only 11% of the deals you see on the show actually go through. Wow. So there you go. I don't think ABC wants you to know that. So <laughs> we will scratch that from the recording. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, uh, you ever watch, uh, speaking of CNBC, The Prophet with Marcus Lemonis? I haven't watched it, but I've heard a lot about it. Yeah, that's pretty neat. So, so it's kind of like the same thing, only exactly what you're expecting in a sense of. Yeah. A more involved kind of guy, right. on the just ground. him on the ground, yeah. And you know, he does a let me like you know, I don't even know a eighth of what Shark Tank does in a given right. year. But it's uh, it's definitely interesting to see what that guy does. And he's in Florida originally. He's from Miami. Oh, really? Yeah, he's from Miami. There you go, Florida. Yeah, there you go. We're not all crazy. <laughs> yeah, bath salts and eating people's faces. Exactly, Florida. Florida so, man on Twitter is. Wait, there's a th- no way. Yeah, if you go to Florida Man on Twitter, it's Is it's it? all the crazy stuff that happens in Florida. Florida Man, on Florida Twitter? Man, at Florida it up. Man, at Florida Man. Mm-hmm. I'll look it up. All right. Mm-hmm. So I know. Speaking of that, right? Like, not even being on the show and after the show. Mm-hmm. Even I remember reading a blog post where you guys were talking about how crazy it was being pretty much on standby. Yeah. Right for mm-hmm. months, not knowing when you get the call. Right. So kind of. What's that like? Is, is you know because you sit there and say, okay, they, they approach you, they want you on, and then it's just well, we we taped pretty quickly. I think they approached us in July, and we taped in September. What was okay. hard is that once we taped in September, our episode didn't air until April, so it was like wow. nine months of keeping almost like a baby. I now know what it's like <laughs> to birth a baby. I birthed a Shark Tank baby where I kept a secret for nine months. And couldn't tell me one. It gets really hard to keep a secret at eight or nine months. I know. It's a real baby. But just saying. Uh, But we couldn't tell anybody. So it was really hard because for those nine months, you know, I think the season starts officially in November, September, I think, Mm. or October maybe. Right. The fall, whenever the fall, the new TV shows come back. I think that's September. September. Yeah, about September. Um, And then the Shark Tank wraps up in May. So they have like... an episode every single Friday Mm -hmm. and they tell you only two weeks before you're going to air. No shit. So every two weeks you're kind of sitting there on Thursday, like willing the phone to ring. Like, are we going to, are we going to air? Are we going to air this month? Are we going to air next month? Are we going to air the month after that? And there's nothing. Um, There's no, so that was the really hard part of waiting and knowing like, is our life going to change in two weeks? And we just have no idea. Right. And we can't tell anybody. Was so. there anything you could have or you did do or would have done in knowing that information? Like, would you buy a little more inventory? You know what I mean? Like, to kind of prep we, for it? Or? We prepared as best as we could. You know, mm-hmm. we did all the research and said, you know, we talked to other people who had been on the show. Mm-hmm. We had kind of reached out to them on the DL. Is so. there like a private Facebook group for you guys <laughs> no. somewhere? Yeah, PTSD <laughs> group. Um, no, 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 there's not. But we just knew other people. Like, Bombas is here in New York, and those yeah. guys had been on the show. And myself, Belts, is actually like a friend of a friend. I was able to reach out to her and just talk to other people who'd been on the show and, and get a lowdown from them of, right. you know, what do our servers need to 
to handle? What's right. the capacity of people going to your website? How how are you handling that traffic? What are you doing about answering all the emails of the inquiries you get? Right. So we had a, a pretty good game plan, but Brittany and I are also like insanely OCD and organized. Nice. So we we were very well prepared. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Because I mean, like you said, it's it's anyone who's been on that kind of platform, the first thing you ask is like, what was it really like? You know what I yeah. mean? Because like we all know totally. TVs. TV. reality TV. Right. You, you know? know, it is. And, um, but it, but at the same time, uh, the one thing is it's just, it's, it's always a boost, whether it's negative or positive, it's a boost to, exactly. to your brand. Um, so I just wanted to, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Cool. Um, so tell me, are there any personal projects you've ever worked on? You know, and, and I, I always ask this, but I know for what you guys do, it's kind of like, like you said, it, it's, Maybe everything you get to work on is kind of like a personal project, right? I mean, <laughs> well, I have Zine Pack that I work on, and that takes up the majority of my day, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Um, I'm also involved in the philanthropic sector mm-hmm. as well. So I'm the board chair of a, a board called the Andrus Family Fund. So we work with foster care um, oh, and vulnerable cool. youth and also juvenile justice. So um, I work on that when I can. We meet like four times a year and and do some really great work. We have a budget around... Um, you know, about $4 million that we give out oh. every year to, to various grantees and who are just doing amazing work and, yeah. and doing really great work in the space. And, you know, I think given in that it's a political year and their elections, you know, there's a lot of talk about, uh, juvenile justice reform and, mm-hmm. and the prison system. And you can look at even in entertainment, you know, mm-hmm. Michael Moore's new documentary touches yep. on our, our prison system. So, um, that work to me is, is amazing. I love doing that. Um, when I'm not working on zine pack, mm-hmm. um, but in terms of zine pack, you know, that's really personal too. You know, I joke all the time that our clients are really our friends. Mm-hmm. Um, these are people that I love and adore and, and, and fight for and, and care about out even when people are like, but the project's over. Like, why do you care if the album sells? And I'm like, because like, I just, I want them to go to number one. Like right. I want, I want everybody to feel good. I want there to be a win. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's really important. I think my favorite project that we've worked on, although mm-hmm. I have so many favorites, I think the one that was so iconic for me, um, growing up in Florida, mm-hmm. I listened to uh, a lot of surf music. My dad surfs. So nice. a lot of, uh, Jimmy Buffett and Jan and Dean and the beach boys right. and all this sort of stuff. So when we worked with the beach boys on their 50th anniversary oh, and I got wow, to, you cool. know, go into Capitol tower and, and sit down next to Mike Love and Al Jardine, I just like totally kind of lost it there <laughs> for a second. and was just like, Holy <laughs> shit. Like these are people hard. that are, they're icons. I mean, yeah. they're right up there with Paul McCartney. I mm-hmm. mean, they're just, these people are, they'll be written in history. Pet Salem's will be written mm-hmm. in history books forever. Yeah. Um, and so I actually got them to write my dad a little birthday card that year. Oh, so that's cool. That was really fun. Nice. Um, but that was, that was definitely a personal one for me. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So, what would you make of this whole Taylor Swift situation, the scandal <laughs> that now has taken a turn? You wonder, yeah. you know, you wonder. I'm going to plead the fifth because <laughs> I feel like at any moment I could get in trouble for what I would say. <laughs> I'm pleading the fifth on that one. All right, all right, all right. So for people who don't know, because I realize we talked about the beginnings and we talked about, um, you know, what the great press and everything else you guys have gotten. Mm-hmm. Tell, for anyone who doesn't know, tell us what Zine Pack is, what you guys do, and there was a follow-up. 
Holy shit. And why we're so awesome. There you go. Um, yeah, there you go. Exactly. So Zine Pack is a company that Brittany and I started and we just make awesome. I remember the next part. Okay. But no. you go first. Okay. We just make awesome packages for, for super fans. So people who really, really love, um, whether it's an artist, whether it's a brand, whether it's a sports team, we want to make something that surprises and delights them. So whether that's something that you find on tour. So for instance, we have all the VIP packages that are out right now with Justin Bieber. So if you bought a VIP package and you get this really cool scrapbook and then you get a lanyard and a laminate, you get a passport and all this fun stuff that we made, uh, or you head out to city field this summer and mm-hmm. you go to a Mets game and you have somebody with you who's under the age of 14 and signs up for the kids club. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did all the kids club programming. That's so cool. all the stuff that you get for the kids club and then the interactions that you get for the entire season, we worked with the Mets to help set that up. So it's a little bit of like a marketing consultancy. It's a little bit of, but then we actually make the physical product, which really? is really cool. Yeah. So all of the stuff we, we actually make, so we're not just saying, well, you should do a 64 page scrapbook on Justin Bieber. No, like we have writers and designers, like we actually make the scrapbook, we print it, we send it out to them on tour. Um, so sometimes it's on tour. Sometimes, as you said, it's stuff that you buy in Walmart. Um, sometimes, like I said, it's stuff that you pick up at a game or at a sporting event like Mm -hmm. city field. So our stuff can show up in a a number of different places, Mm -hmm. whether that's um, you know, directly with an artist, sometimes it's on their online store. So if you go to, you know, lindsaysterlingstore.com, mm-hmm. um, there'll be a coffee table book that we made for Lindsay Sterling oh, for cool. her fans. So nice. it, it can be in a number of places. That's awesome. So you guys just outsource the material. Are you guys just bringing the materials and then you build it? However you, however you yeah. So we do all the creative and the editorial and the design. So sometimes we're working with corporate clients like American Express, mm-hmm. or we just did something with Amazon, um, that was internal actually for really? like their internal, you know, well, Amazon has thousands of employees. I so it's, meant like Amazon's so big, they would do that. Yeah. They for their internal conference, we made wow. a really cool like workbook that had like stories about people that had been featured on Amazon. It was, it was awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. You can check them all out on our website, which is zinepack, Z-I-N-E-P-A-K.com. All right. And for people who don't know that it's a uh, Kind of a hodgepodge of what magazine and package. Yeah, right? exactly. Zine okay. like magazine and pack like package. Right. Cool. Um, so my follow up is well, one thing I want to note that was pretty interesting was when I was doing research, you actually have done business with my old job with Townsquare Media. That's right. So they when you guys did stuff for the um, the concert at. Um, at Hunter Mountain, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, the so country we music did, festival. yeah, we did Country Jam. Mm-hmm. We've done Mountain Jam, um, Loudwire. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, my old mentor uh, currently works there, so that's why we were able no to get shit. that business. Carolyn Chauncey, yeah. Huh? Look at that. I know. Interesting. Seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, kids. <laughs> you have no idea who you're connected to. That is too funny because as soon as I saw that, I remember I, I sent it to you, mm-hmm. and you were like, "Oh, small world." And then I never realized my brother still works there. See, small so that's world. Pretty, that's pretty funny. So that's cool. Now, my follow-up was, um, what specifically does uh, Zimpack look like in terms of the operations now? Is mm-hmm. it so? It's, you have the you two co-founders, right? And then you yep. still have executives, right? To have other executives. Yeah, so Abby, our creative designer, has been with us from the start. She's mm-hmm. absolutely amazing and so imperative to our business. Um, we have Carly and Amy upstairs uh, who are just amazing project managing, production, all that stuff. And then, you know, kind of you touched on a little bit. I came from Condé. We have an army of freelancers who uh, nice. work with me who 
thou shall not be named because they may or may not still work for Condé. Uh, They kind of moonlight for us on nights and weekends. But, you know, again, I tell people all the time, it's 2016, you know, we're in the game of the hustle. Like everybody has a side hustle, Mm -hmm. you know, so I always tell people, yes, I know you're working at corporate and I know you signed paperwork that said, I'm going to only work at Bank of America from nine to five and I'm not going to do anything else. But it's like, you know, yeah. if you get a little sign hustle, like just don't tell anybody, you yeah. know, keep yeah, on yeah. the DL. So a lot of times when we're working with people, you know, we might not put their name in the project or uh, we might not credit okay. them. We don't want to get anybody in we're just any trouble. Like, like, you know, ghostwriter names or something like exactly. that. Exactly. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, you, you side hustle it. Yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of the side hustle. I am too. I mean, and to me nowadays, you said it, you can't not do it because nothing's fucking guaranteed anymore. You know, no. there's no more gold watches. There's no more, uh, you're not you know, going to work somewhere for 15 years. Exactly. You so, know? so it's kind of like you just hedge your bets, mitigate your risk however you can. And if that means do this on the side until exactly what you and Brittany did, you know, exactly. do this on the side until we can do it full time and then fuck it. Never look back. Exactly. You know? All right. So now we're going to go into the deeper realm. So okay. his last few questions are pretty deep. Okay. All right. Just, just ready. a warning. I <laughs> So tell me, what's the biggest risk you've taken in your career? Uh, the biggest risk I've taken, I think most people would say quitting my job in 2011. You know, January 2011, we were still, I mean, God knows, I think we're still in the recession now. But you know, yeah. we're definitely still in the recession in 2011. I had friends that couldn't find jobs. Um, so for Brittany and I to quit jobs where we had nice salaries with 401ks and pension plans and vacation days to try this crazy idea, you know, pretty, pretty big risk. Um, because had it all epically failed, it might have been, I mean, we were pretty naive at the time at 25. I was just like, I'll get another job. Yay. But I look back now and I'm like, no, it might have actually been kind of hard to get another job. Um, <laughs> so I think looking back now, thank God for my naivety because right. I just didn't know any better, but that was a pretty big risk. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you said it, and especially in the fact that like, you, know, you just got there too. Oh you, yeah. You know what I mean? Like someone would argue like, Hey, relax, yeah, totally. you know, like give it a year or two. Totally. And, uh, and then see what's up. Exactly. But that's pretty cool. So name your biggest fear creatively. My biggest fear creatively is, uh, not being happy with what I do every day. And that's just more of a life thing too. No, but that's, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're doing your own thing and it sucks while you're doing it, go back to being corporate. Exactly. Right. And having a steady paycheck. Yeah. Name the most meaningful moment in your career thus far. Oh my God, I have so many. It's so hard to choose from. Uh, I think when Brittany and I hit a million in revenue, that was really special. I will never you, you forget hit the that. Null, you hit the null unicorn. We section. did it within the first year of our business. No shit. Yeah. And I just remember being like, oh my fucking goodness. <laughs> like, this is some real shit. Yeah. I don't know why it didn't seem real until then. Right. But it got really real. Yeah. And I was like, Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that was that's big, crazy. That was a big I didn't know it was in the first year. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So, on the opposite end of that spectrum, what's been the biggest regret in your career? I have a lot of regrets, but I would say probably our biggest one is Brittany and I didn't ask for help soon enough. Mm. So, kind of in the beginning, most women have this Superman factor of like, we can do the laundry and cook and raise the kids and do all this stuff. So we're like, we're going to do all this stuff by ourselves. 
And now we're in so many different like young entrepreneurship council. And I'm in a group called dreamers and doers. Like you're in so many different communities that you can literally Facebook message and say, Oh my God, does anyone know a CPA? Oh my God, does anyone know a good lawyer? And you have tons of people who are going to respond and say, Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, I got a guy. No problem. Um, so I think in the beginning, had we asked for help sooner, it would have been a lot easier. You know, Brittany and I were trying to Google YouTube videos on how to use QuickBooks. I mean, what we should have done is pay 50 bucks for somebody to like do it for us <laughs> right. to get a bookkeeper right. instead of watching eight hour tutorials on right. QuickBooks. Uh, so I think we, it took about eight months into our business where mm-hmm. we suddenly were like, we should probably ask people for help with this. Right. And now I'm such a big proponent of know what you're good at mm-hmm. and know what you're not good at and whatever you're not good at, get somebody else yeah. to do that. Cause yeah. somebody else is like, really good at that. Mm -hmm. So yes, I'm smart. I could learn QuickBooks. It would take me four hours to do something in QuickBooks. It would take my friend who loves QuickBooks and loves being a CPA two hours to do it. So Mm -hmm. why am I spending four hours to do like a B minus job on something when somebody else can spend two hours and do an A plus job on it? So I think my biggest regret, especially with Zine Pack is just, we should have asked for help sooner. Yeah. I mean, you said it and it's, I think there's like a, a flip side of that coin is by by being able to say early on you did it all, mm-hmm. right, is for when you scale your, your employees, you get a little street cred, right? You're like, right. hey, I did that fucked up job too. <laughs> I did that one. So you can't say shit. I did it. It's true. Um, and, and also that helps with the culture too because yeah. you know like you got people who literally may no longer be in the trenches, but they've been there and, yeah. and they've seen shit and they know it. And it's, you know, that's the great thing is that that does help. Mm-hmm. But like you said, then you get to a point where you just realize you can't be there anymore. Right. You have to be a little more kind of uh, dis, not disengaged, but a little more detached in terms of everyday things. Yeah. And, uh, and that's when, like you said, you pull in the people and make it more like a team, like the yeah, Mets. You exactly. know, where you sit there and say, everyone play their position and just do your thing. So that's cool. What's been your biggest failure? Biggest failure. I don't know. I mean, I, Brittany and I have a really funny thing about failures where we, we really feel like we learned something. Mm-hmm. So even when we take these big belly flops, we're kind of like, oh, good. Like right. we learned so much. Right. Um, but we've had so many flubs and, and things that we wish right. we so did name, differently. Name just one that was like a pretty big. A pretty big flub. Um, I'll tell you what I did recently. I, sure. I cursed in an interview with, uh, I think it was Inc. Magazine or something, and they put it out. They printed it. Really? And my mother called and (laughs) oh my God, she was mad at me. She was like, Kimberly, couldn't you do an interview and appropriately speak to that reporter? And I was like, oh my gosh, mom, like I had no idea that they were going to like, you know, you talk for like an hour. Right. You don't think that they're going to pull the part where I'm like. Well, that's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh no. But um, yeah, so that was that was a bit of a regret recently. So I take it your mom is not going to listen to this interview now. Um, she probably will. Okay. <laughs> she Sorry, t- mom. Yeah, exactly. Uh so that's it's pretty neat. And that's you know, again, that goes back to like um one of the people we had on recently, uh Spencer, his episode goes up tomorrow, um, was that he's been in a lot of interviews. Mm-hmm. And he, when he, this was ours, was his first, well, not his first, but one of his uh, early on kind of podcasts. Mm-hmm. And he, when we had spoke, he had done one earlier that day. And uh, and I said, well, how'd you like it? He goes, dude, I, I love him. He's like, you you can be 
like yourself, right? Yeah. You don't have to feel like you're polished. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, I think the better ones are long form, like this, where right. you have the time to really get into, get to know someone, get into it, and really kind of delve into the topics. Whereas when you're on the Today Show or the news, like you got like fucking three minutes, you know what I mean? To like exactly. talk about your movie, well, in his case, and uh, and show a clip, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Where it's like you, it's really kind of on the surface, right? So same thing. You spoke for an hour. Right. With Ink Magazine, and then they run that. <laughs> Lady yeah. But no, I have another regret too. I would say one of our biggest regrets too is not trusting our gut. So, like when it comes mm. to, we had a, we went through P, three PR people. Wow. Um, Whole firms or just firms? Oh, firms. Wow. Um, and we just kept not trusting our gut. And we, oh, this this one's going to be different. And this one's going to be different. And in our guts, Brittany and I just knew, like, no one is going to pitch us like we are going to pitch us. Mm-hmm. No one is going to hustle like we are going to hustle. And no one's going to tell our story better than we are. Right. And so I think the last three years, we haven't had a publicist. And we've wow. gotten Shark Tank and, and yeah. you know, Forbes 30 under 30 and all this press and people are astonished that we don't have a publicist. They're like, well, how are you getting all this stuff if you don't have a publicist? And Brittany and I are like, cause we roll up our sleeves and do it, but we wasted thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on publicists, um, mm. as we went through one and then two and then three. And, right. um, you know, so trusting our gut, I think is huge. Sometimes you get, um, stars in your eyes when you mm-hmm. see people. Oh well, they work with you know da da da. Right. They yeah, work yeah, with da da da, so they, they must. Gotta be they good. gotta be good. They yeah. must know what they're talking right. about. Um, but even even all you know, all that glitters isn't gold. No, it's you true. Know? Just just a piece of shit with glass in it. <laughs> but <laughs> exactly. I mean, but that was a good thing. That was actually something that I thought was really neat. Was um, was your story when you were at next gen of how you got on let's just say one of the 30 under 30 lists yeah i remember which one it was but yeah you pretty much twitter stalked the the person who was involved who curates the list yeah for a long time oh oh years yeah yeah like like you said no shame that's hashtag no shame (laughs) that's dedication right there yeah no i still do that right no no i still do that that to me was like I, i i get Finding an article that you like about a topic, reaching out to the writer. That's one thing. Everyone does that. Mm-hmm. But you took it to a whole new level and it was awesome. Oh, no. Like, and you played the long game. Like I I joke, there's this Wedding Crashers clip, if you guys have ever seen the movie, um, where it's uh, Elisa Fisher's character mm-hmm. and she's she's going, I will find you. <laughs> and like that's like me. I'm like, you think you're going to escape, but I'll find you. That's like awesome. LinkedIn, Twitter, right, like right. a conference. Like right. don't try to run. Have you ever gone to a conference just to find someone? Donna Fenn. You did. Oh yeah. Yeah. The same woman yeah, yeah, yeah. that I stalked on Twitter. Yeah. We'd find her at a conference and be like, hi Donna. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> You're like She laughs about it now, but like right. that was really the game plan. No. It was for like sure. we will hunt you <laughs> like an animal. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And you know what? Like you said, that's that's the tenacity you have to fucking have. Especially when doing it on a your own. A lot of people don't have it. Right. A lot of people give up. They try right. two times and they say, like, well, I tried. Right. Yeah. No. No, for sure. For sure. Well, listen, Kim, thank you <laughs> for taking the time out. Thank uh, you. We only have a couple more left, and it's kind of crazy how fast an hour goes by, right? I know. Time flies. It does. So uh, usually this one obviously goes is geared towards like the creative arts, visual arts. But okay. if you couldn't share your work with anyone, would you still make your art? 
And I guess that's a question to you in that everything what you do is very client facing, right? Yeah. Very public facing. Mm-hmm. So maybe my question would be if you couldn't do that and you couldn't share your work with anyone, what would you do? Oh, I mean, I still do stuff on the side all the time. I just took a calligraphy class a oh, couple cool. weeks ago. I have those adult coloring books in my house. I had them even before they were cool, like in college. <laughs> I think my one of my best friends, Adam, has a picture of me like coloring on my bed. And yeah. He's like, you're so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've always been a really creative person, so I would definitely be doing something, whether it's you know, I actually just took a picture on my phone the other day over the weekend. I was walking and I saw that there's a pottery class near me nice. and, um, I felt very Demi Moore ghost ish. So I was like, I should sign up for that. But yeah, where, I'm, where I'm always now, like Brooklyn, like somewhere. No, I live on, I live in Flatiron oh, here okay. in the city. Nice. So I always try to do something. So again, whether it's a calligraphy class mm-hmm. or a pottery class, you know, you have to keep those creative juices flowing mm-hmm. in whatever form they come in. Right. And, and I need that even in addition to zine pack actually, yeah, you know, cause they help each other out. Exactly. You know, for sure. And calligraphy is not fucking easy, huh? It was harder than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen people do it and I'm like, oh, that's handy. But it's beautiful. It is. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Well, listen, Kim, thank you again for taking the time out. I hope you enjoyed. This was wonderful. Um, So where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do? Um, I would love for people to chat with me on Twitter. I'm on it entirely too much. Um, And it's just my name, Kim, K-I-M, and then my last name, Kaup, K-A-U-P-E. Um, I'm also on Snapchat, which we were talking about earlier, which is again, just my name, Kim Kalp. And I'm on Facebook, which is again, just my name, Kim Kalp. Um, I wish I had cooler names. Like I feel like some people no, are like kitty cat one, two, three. No, no, that's um, horrible. Cause right. no one remembers that. It's just my name. Like if you right. check any social media, it's literally just my name yeah. and it's not taken because yeah, Kalp, Kalp, don't is such ever a, do kitty cat one, two, Kalp is such a weird last name. So it is. it's never taken. It is. We I get it all it the time. For 10 minutes just before we started. It's a really hard last name. So you will, you guys will be able to find me. Yeah. I say this so much. People hate hearing it, but um, my name is like John Smith in Puerto Rico. So I never, ever get my name for anything. No. Ever. Right. Oh, it fucking sucks. And every lately everyone's like, oh, just my name. Yeah. Like one guy, the guy we talked about, Everett Taylor, mm-hmm. he literally has fucking Everett on Twitter. Just Everett. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's when you're one of the, you know, one of these, you know. Oh, well, I feel like I can sympathize with you a little bit because I am KK and so Kim K. Kim K. Yeah. And that's so true. no one can call me Kim K anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly not delivering on that package. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> So last but not least, who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? I would love to hear you talk to a lot of different people. Um, but I have, I, I get like business crushes every couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, but every one couple months, geez, you just I don't love them and leave I them. Do, huh? I love them and leave them. Um, but I have like a long-term business crush and like a short-term business crush. So my long-term one is Jimmy Buffett. I'm like obsessed with him. He is such a mogul. Um, and I feel like people just think like, oh, he sings songs. He has a right. whole like hotel brand, right. restaurants with Margaritaville. He owns Landshark beer. I didn't know he owned Landshark. He beer. owns Landshark. Huh. Um, he has clothing lines and the Maui he's gym glasses are his too, New right? New York times bestselling author. He has wow. books. I mean, the guy is a mo like a secret mogul right. basically. So yeah. I think that is amazing. So yeah. he's like my long-term business crush, um, which I will have forever. <laughs> um, 
But in terms of short term, I I definitely have a lot. I, I think Jason Freed is doing amazing things um, over at Basecamp. We use Basecamp. We love Basecamp. So um, big big shout outs to Jason. Um, I have a lot of good friends who are in the entrepreneurship field who are doing amazing things. Um, Adam Schwartz, who works over at Busted Tees, mm-hmm. doing really great work. I and just he has got two of their t-shirts. Yeah, he has a new company, uh, The Loyalist, that he's working with. So. Um, really great people doing really great things. So nice. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, thank you again. Thank you. Take the time out. I'm glad we finally got to make this happen. Yeah. After, what was that? April? I can remember when we met. Time flies. In April. Yeah. So, uh, thanks. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thank you. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care.